0: following podcast is part of the underdog sports podcasting network for a full list of our shows as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com welcome back to another episode of create your shot i am tyler laurie and i am joined as always by my co-host chris smalls angelos and smalls uh, you're up in philadelphia as usual a little bit of a sad day following the eagles loss to the cowboys on sunday night but did see a couple create your shot koozies in the parking lot of the link before the game so a good day for create your shot but how are you today smalls you
1: know tyler uh i still haven't grown up when my uh when the birds lose or, you know, my sports teams have a really bad week, I can't even bring myself to listen to sports talk radio. So that's a that's a big loss in my life. Uh, but you know what? What have I learned from all these coaches and, you know, these various sports professionals? You know, you're going to have some bad times. You just got to pick yourself up, start grinding it out daily, baby. So I'm, I'm back. I'm humming. I'm not worrying about it. I don't know where the bird season is going. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to take it week by week and uh, kind of do a post-mortem at the end of the year.
0: <laughs> All right. Speaking of week to week, this week joining us on Creator Shot is Julianne Viani. She's a college basketball insider, uh, also a sideline reporter, color commentator for ESPN, does some CBS sports stuff, does some things for the Big Ten Network, uh, also is with Oculus. I- I'm sorry, not Oculus, NBA VR. And that's pretty cool. It's virtual reality. She, she's a sideline reporter and sometimes color commentator. It's very cool. You can see it on our Instagram. But Smalls, a couple things about Julianne that were really interesting. One, unbelievable basketball career. She played at Marist, which is the flagship school of the Create Your Shot podcast. <laughs> so she plays at Marist, goes to four, stra- four straight NCAA tournaments, uh, Sweet 16, a second round, Mac Player of the Year, Marist Hall of Famer, Mac Hall of Famer, whatever you want to say. Then ends up actually going overseas, plays in, I believe, Armenia for a year we got to hear a little bit about that and then comes back and decides you know gets a job and then decides she's going to try to make it work as a sportscaster as a color commentator as an college basketball insider whatever you want to call it but really just a pretty interesting interview and and not a person that we knew well before we got on the air but someone who had a a little bit of a different journey especially even starting her college career she goes to Rhode Island decides that it's not for her ends up transferring has to sit out a year but We both got like the player perspective and the sports media professional perspective, which we have not gotten on this show uh, before. And so that part was really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think learning about someone who makes the decision not to necessarily go into coaching from having, you know, such an outstanding playing career, whether it be, you know, Maris where she was just dominant and, you know, Maris might be where the CYS office moves to. Uh, because we've got so many hooks in there. But uh, also her playing career overseas, and now she decides, like you said, to go that media route, which was, I think, so fascinating. And you're right. It's more unique than we've ever, you know, really seen in terms of an interview. Uh, I just think, you know, the the coolest thing for me, too, was the virtual reality, uh, you know, the NBA TV the next generation of technology, kind of learning an insider's look and perspective on that and how that's really going to change the viewing process. Uh, Julian gave us a lot of cool, you know, cool insights to her life and her particular journey that I really appreciated.
0: Yeah. You were really excited about the fact that you could just put a headset on, sit on your couch and be courtside in an arena. That was yeah. something that you could, we could tell your excitement while we were listening.
1: It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Um, you know, I'll start ordering stuff. Maybe, maybe eventually down the line, that technology, you're going to be able to order food by going to a waiter who's, you know, possibly at Shake Shack and Shake Shack's going to deliver it right to my couch. And that's, that's just, Hey, you can take that idea for free.
0: That's my own idea. I love it. Personally. We do get to hear uh, people with a lot of different journeys, but. One of the things we, we have not had, and obviously Coach Langle, Matt Langle from Colgate University is someone who routinely tries to help Smalls and I in our careers. And one of the things he did say was have on former players. So that part to me was, was the most fascinating about her career at Marist. And we probably didn't do it justice how good of a player she was at Marist. I would say that the cu- current power rankings of players that have been on the Create Your Shot podcast, it's probably between her and John Linehan, it's a toss up for number one. And then number ninety nine is Bobby Jordan. But other than that, I would say that Julianne really gave us some good insight into what her thought process was when she lived in Poughkeepsie, decided to leave, decided to come back. What her thought process was as a player getting into college and the difference between high school and college. And we haven't we haven't done a lot of that. You know, that's probably the one part of the coaching podcast that we really haven't delved into. It's like how players react to coaches. So coach speak this week was a little bit different than normal, but. You know, kind of got her opinion on what was the best for her playing style coaches that, that she responded to well. And I think that that's stuff that we can start to offer a little bit more, the players perspective. So coaches who, who do listen, if you think oh it's just somebody who's in the media, like this is somebody who was a recruitable athlete and a very good one. And so she does offer things like that. And Smalls, uh, you've recruited more recently than I have. What did you think about some of the advice that she gave?
1: Yeah, I mean, not to get into like particulars. And I really want you guys to listen to the interview. But in terms of the advice on recruiting, I think she gives a phenomenal perspective on how, as a recruit, you should be looking at the people talking to you and what's valuable to you as a person, valuable to you as a family, and kind of be able to look into your future. Cause we got to remember when kids are getting recruited, you know, you're recruiting the kid, the family, all that student athlete stuff and they're 16, 17, 18 years old. And it's tough to be so mature at that age. So there's a couple pinpoints that she really says to focus on, uh, you know, to make sure you're doing the right thing for yourself, that you're going to be happy in the situation, not just athletically, but academically, socially. Those are the elements you want to look at and really do your research because It is such a critical decision and vice versa. Coaches should look at that and be able to communicate those, you know, those important uh, elements that student athletes want to know about and hear about. So I think for both sides, uh, she gives you an insight into, you know, the recruiting process and what that should really look like.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100 percent. A couple housekeeping things before we get to the interview actually we are in the market for an intern we have exploded through the ranks so much that we have uh, some things that we could use some help with so if you would be interesting interested in interning with the Create Your Shot podcast you get to hang out with smalls and i which is pretty cool get to be a part of the interview process probably get to meet some some interesting people depending on what you think of our guest list uh feel free to reach out to us at createyourshot at gmail.com uh, we'll, we'll be looking over the next couple weeks to maybe do something. We can maybe work it out if you're a college student for college credits or something of that nature. might be a little bit of money involved. Not sure. Smalls, not a big deal. We might have some money to offer, but yeah, looking for an intern. So if you w- are interested, you know, student manager, player at a, a university somewhere, high school kid, you know, you're a little bit older and you want to get back into coaching, feel free to reach out, create your shot at gmail.com. If nothing else, you get to hang out with Smalls and that will be a lot of fun. Like I said earlier, we did have some Create Your Shot koozie sightings at the Lincoln Financial Field parking lot outside of the Birds uh, tailgates on Sunday, and they looked awesome. If you're interested in getting your hands on one of those koozies, write us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher. Shoot us a screenshot of that review, and I will send you a koozie free of charge. Just make sure you send me your address. Other than that, Smalls, as always, appreciate everyone listening. If you're not listening to our Friday Football Pick'em Show, you are literally flushing money down the toilet. I had another 4-0 in one week. I am 12-2-1 in my last three weeks. Basically, if you are a college basketball coach making zero dollars and you're not following my picks, I cannot help you because this is the best I can do to make you guys money. Other than that, if you'd like what you hear, reach out to us, create your shot on Twitter, create your shot pod on Instagram, create your shot at gmail.com and create your shot on Facebook and enjoy this week with Julianne Vianney. Really interesting interview from both a player and sportscaster's perspective. And as always, Thanks for listening. We will be back on Friday. Welcome on, Julianne Biani, uh, one of the better basketball players we've actually had on this show. We've had a lot of coaches, but we have not had a ton of former Hall of Fame basketball players. She is from, played at Marist, Mac Hall of Famer, which we will get into, and now a college basketball analyst all over the country Big Ten Network, Pac 12, ESPN, CBS Sports, and then uh, Next VR, which we will also get into. But Julianne, it seems like you're everywhere. Uh, the college basketball season's ramping up. I just, I appreciate you joining us, and I, I want to know how you're doing tonight.
2: Oh, I'm doing good. I mean, this is the best time of year because you get football merging with basketball and you got like every single sport on at, at once. You know, you just finished baseball season. It's kind of cool, but um, I'm good. I mean, we just started this week with uh, college basketball. My first college game is actually coming up on Tuesday. I've got uh, the Rutgers, Rutgers women, uh, Vivian Stringer, going for her 1,000th career win, so it should be cool, but you know, I'm good. I'm hanging strong. And uh, it really talked to me in like the middle of February and I might have a different answer, but I'm excited.
0: <laughs> so one of the things we definitely wanted to talk about first, uh, we've we we've been told to get former players on the show a lot. So we've had a couple former division one players I had a, another former women's division one player who played at Davidson. But you're one of the best players in Marist basketball history, if not the best. I don't want to talk out of turn, but uh, we are Also a very pro Marist podcast as we've had three guys that have had time on the staff there. But what was the toughest adjustment going from high school to college for you? Can you sort of walk us through your whole college career, you know, as short as it can be, but just kind of tell us what it was like going from high school to college in Poughkeepsie?
2: Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, there's so many differences when you go from high school to college. You're suddenly uh, going to play basketball with a bunch of other all-stars from their high school. So it's almost like you're going to play with everyone who's like Miss New York State basketball or Miss Ohio or Miss Kansas or whatever it is, you know? So you're kind of merging a bunch of different people from everywhere. So, I mean, in terms of the basketball playing aspect of it, uh, I would say the pace of play is the biggest adjustment that I had to make on the court. And um, also, you know, there's a lot more pressure and you're going from like, you know, there's not as much pressure in high school, although there's always been pressure on us to win. But, um, you know, your bread and butter is determined, or the coach's bread and butter is determined by how well a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds, 23 year olds are performing. So um, there's a little more pressure when you get to college. But, you know, my career at Marist, uh, you know, it was the best decision I could have made. I actually originally started out at Rhode Island. Uh, I was going there on a scholarship, but I ended up, before my freshman year, transferred for a lot of major issues at the time there with the athletic administration, with the, the coaching staff, and you name it back then. So I had a former relationship with Maris coach. Uh, he coached for two years in high school. So when he first offered me, he went to Maris, got the head coach job, and I told him no. He offered me as a sophomore because I didn't want to stay close to home. And uh, I ended up calling him, you know, at the end of that summer saying, I want to transfer. And he took me on. And I ended up with five years because I had to sit out the first year, even though I didn't start yet. N-T-A made me sit out that first year. So that was a big challenge, uh, having to redshirt, even though I didn't, you know, I wasn't injured. So that was something I had to adjust to right off the bat was really busting my butt without getting me the perk of playing. So, uh, but I got the fifth year and I ended up getting my master's. So, so that was, that was a tough adjustment right off the bat, <laughs> but it also helped in the long run because not only did I get an extra year of school, but I learned the system at Maris in terms of playing style and all that. Uh, but I think, you know, I think overall there was a lot of adjustments to make, you know, you're kind of in, in the process of becoming an adult and you're free and you know, you're getting a lot of freedom all of a sudden you're dealing with. A lot of different things, a lot of different personalities, learning how to be a leader. And I mean, there's just so many things uh, that I could say, but uh, lots of adjustments to make.
1: <laughs> What's your advice for maybe uh, young women who are being recruited to Division One, Division Two, getting these scholarship offers? What would you say they should be looking at in terms of as a whole, as a school?
2: I would, I would definitely say, and this is what I tell people all the time when I see them coming High school is when you're looking to play college basketball. Make sure that you're looking at the entire aspect of it, not just the basketball aspect of it, because uh, you want to make sure that the school is the right fit too, and uh, the players that you are playing with are, that you fit in with them too. You're not like you've got to have some commonalities with them. You've got to really like the environment that you're in, because at the end of the day, you are spending a lot of time with those people and. You can't just focus on the esteem of the school in terms of like the sports perspective, you know, like, oh, this is a big time school. I'm going to pick this school because it's, it's a big time program. You know, it's a UConn, it's a Duke, it's a this, and it's, it's really appealing to the ego and it's, it's exciting. And I'm not saying to sell yourself short, but if you think you can play at that level I would say consider playing a level below it. You know, you're still going to be a Division One player, but you want to make sure that you're happy and that you're playing and not riding the bench for four or five years, you know, because I find a lot of people in transferring. So you have to look at the whole picture and just be wise about it in that regard. And there's so many things to look at. Some people don't realize they want to be closer to home. You know, Some people don't realize they want to be further, you know what I mean? It's, uh, but uh, that's my my advice, especially in terms of your playing ability.
0: What When you were going through the recruiting process, Julianne, obviously you, you said you ended up at Rhode Island and then ended up coming back to Marist and then had to sit. But when you were going through the recruiting process, on, I feel like on the women's side, at least in my understanding, it starts just a little bit earlier. What were some of the, you know, maybe three or four things that were the most important to you and your family?
2: Oof, that's a great question. Uh, I think i think. A lot of my my family would say that they wanted me to be happy and clearly to go somewhere that that I felt comfortable in environment wise. And my mom would say she didn't want me to go too far, you know. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, of course. But uh, I ended up that ended up not being far, which is funny because it's not what I originally had planned. But, you know, I I think just what I said to you before would be the kind of advice I would take for myself now. It's the same thing looking at the overall picture of it. You know, uh, not not trying to aim too, too high uh, in terms of not, not saying you're not supposed to aim high, but being realistic about the process. I think nowadays I see a lot of younger players not realistic or their parents are not realistic about where they're going to actually play and get minutes. When you're being recruited, you know, remember, they're salesmen. You know, you're, you're sometimes going to be uh, lied to, deceived what have you. I think it's really important to talk to former players from that coach, uh, talk to former players from that program, really, really find out about what goes on there. And if it has a good reputation, those are all things that really matter when you're going through the process of recruiting. Because, I mean, you can't bank it all on that. People are always going to have sour experiences with different coaches and you might have a great with that coach. So you have to really you know, for me, my faith is important to me. So I prayed about everything. I mean, I would like leave everything up to God and like go with that gut instinct that you can't describe. Now, I originally kind of felt really good about Marist, but I just kind of put it off to the side because I didn't want to stay local. And I ended up choosing somewhere that I didn't feel as good about, but that's funny because I ended up back where I felt originally comfortable. So I would say go with your gut, there's a lot to everybody with everybody. There's different things that are. Uh,
1: so. Yeah. And, and then you end up being a successful and playing professionally overseas in Europe. Uh, how can you describe your overseas experience and maybe the adjustments you had to make uh, playing over there?
2: Yeah, that was such a crazy experience because I, I mean, I originally wasn't sure if I wanted to play overseas because you know after you playing college basketball, you're like me and you've been playing since you were old enough to walk, which honestly is true. I mean, we had a ball in our hands. I have two sisters. My older sister played at Villanova. So we both played D1 basketball. You know, our whole lives, it was like, you know, we played AAU. We we lived and breathed basketball. We wanted scholarships. So we worked hard to get it. But like, I didn't know if I wanted to play. But when I, when I got the opportunity, I decided to just do it because I, I knew other players that had gone overseas. I knew that I was going to have to, you know, get into a career and work and do things like that for the rest of my life. And when I got the chance to play in Europe and travel in parts of the world that I typically wouldn't be in or, or get to do while I'm playing the sport I love, I, I decided to go for it. And, I, and it was in Euro cup, which was a really competitive conference. I mean, it's a very competitive league uh, over there. So, you know, Armenia though is a—it it was a crazy adjustment. I would say Armenia, second world country, and it's an interesting location. It's like between, you know, Iran and Turkey and Russia, and you know, there's 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 no way I would have probably ever visited there. <laughs> I've not been playing there, but uh, it was an adjustment. We had six languages spoken on my team, so. Uh, That was really hard because we, on the court, could not understand each other. I mean, English was not the first language. It was more like the sixth language spoken because these guys are all Eastern European or wherever they're from, you know, from all over the world. So the only common language that some of them spoke was Russian. So for me, I was really (laughs) out of luck and I had to figure things out. Uh, The way that things were done was a bit differently. We didn't really watch game film we didn't really it was more like go out and play and then the communication aspect defensively was hard uh, i'm so used to playing on teams that really like i was smart i was i was like i i got ahead of the game because i knew my personnel really well you know and uh that was all on court stuff that was definitely an adjustment but even living there you know uh the cool thing is that armenia as a whole really loved our team we really awakened basketball because uh basketball was not really big there it's big in europe but it was something that got lost with the armenian genocide because there was a huge genocide there with between turkey and armenia and people don't even really know about it in america i mean some people don't and it's crazy because we didn't even learn it in school and so going through that whole thing and going to like the, the museum there and seeing that there are more armenians living in. California like than there are in Armenia because they're scattered everywhere now. So it's it was cool historically. And then we went to Turkey, you know, I got to experience Assemble and Athens, Greece, and you know, we went to Vienna and the, the country Georgia and uh, Russia. I mean I, I mean it was really neat. Those are not places you typically would travel and visit. But it was hard. I really felt lonely at times and uh, I'll be honest. 10 hour time difference. I was, uh, you know, it was nighttime for me when my mom was basically like getting up or, uh, you know, then I would be getting up and everybody was sleeping in the U S and it was hard to catch people on Skype because the 10 hour difference. And so I feel like for me too, while I was there, it was a big uh, character building process. I figured out, I really learned a lot about myself. I grew closer to God and my faith and my relationship with him. Cause I felt Like I had no one else to talk to. It was kind of lonely, but it was also good for me. It was really good. So I mean, there's so much I could say. We were on billboards there. How many times are you going to say you're on a billboard? You know, Uh, because they they liked us there. We brought out a lot of fans and we did success. We were successful. So but I I would definitely do it again, as tough as some of the moments were.
0: Julianne, did you know going into college that you had an opportunity to play in Europe?
2: I had coaches, or I had agents watching me. So, yes, they they come and they usually about your junior year, I'd say they start to reach out. If they're they're like European, like international kind of agents that have the connects over there, and so they they're watching us throughout our college experience, and you know, and then you end up having to sign with an agent if you want to play, and, and they they get you the the opportunities because they have all the contacts. I mean, I knew there were people interested in wanting to sign me and coming to some games. So I just didn't know if I was going to do it or not, you know, because I didn't know if I wanted to set back whatever I was going to do next. So, uh, but I decided to do it.
0: (laughs) Guys, did someone say playoffs? NBA and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA playoff bracket contest that gives you more chances to win. Major League Baseball continues to push through the summer, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action, as BetOnline has hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Please take advantage of every sport, and remember, our casino never closes. It's always there for you to check out and enjoy. Head to the website today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. If you go to Bet Online, don't forget the promo code P O D C A S T O N E. That is Podcast One for your sign-up bonus. That is Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to Julianne Viani.
1: Yeah, and and one thing I really find interesting about you know professional sports, especially overseas, we have a couple uh, really good friends who play overseas and who've been over there for a while, and it's it's. Kind of, when do you give it up or when do you kind of move on to your career? It's a really tough decision. And I don't know your specific story, but that's why I want to ask Did you, was there a point in time where you knew you wanted to move to a career, or come back? And uh, what initiated that process for you and how difficult of a decision was it?
2: Yeah, that's a great, great question because I, I deal with that a lot with people now, former players that don't know what to do they're, you know, 37, 38 years old. they they're they're, they're about to finish their career or even mid 30s and they don't do. So uh, it, it is a challenge because, you know, the only thing they can really think of doing is coaching or whatever it might be. But for me, I think I I had some hard times over there and I think because it was kind of a, an up and down experience, I I think I was just kind of burnt out by the time I was done. And I didn't really feel like I wanted to make my life in Europe. And for girls, for women, you make your money over there. The WNBA, unfortunately, they don't pay enough uh, for you to really live in the U.S. And they all go overseas. I mean, I played a lot of them over there. And then that's where they make their bread and butter. And I just, I'm very close to my family. I wanted to start a life, figure out my next step. I didn't really want to like, live that lifestyle of being over there all those years and so for me personally i reached that place where i had to kind of just part ways in i it, it's hard you have to go through that death uh, it really is like a death because you've been doing something you've been playing this game for your whole life and you love it but but that was kind of my whole mindset so i think it depends on where you're playing what your experience is like where you play out there you're more and more money you know that all helps a lot you know of course but it's really it's a personal preference some people get hurt some people can't handle it mentally or spiritually or emotionally or whatever but yeah that was kind of a personal decision for me because i did feel like "Eh, i don't know if i want to make my life over there
1: yeah and and it's funny, you mentioned a lot of players, you know, playing for a long time and then thinking, well, all I can do after my career is coaching, but you took a different route and you went the broadcasting, journalism kind of route. Uh, what made you go that way instead of coaching?
2: A lot of people ask me that because you know what? A lot of us get get the, that question on both sides where they've asked, broadcasters have you ever wanted to coach or coaches have you ever wanted to broadcast and I think a lot of times it goes a little bit hand in hand because it's it's our knowledge of the game our lifetime knowledge of the game that you're you're useful for and I think for me and, and I heard somebody and a mentor of mine say this one time and you know and, and he's right because I think a lot of people at a young age know they want to coach what I, this is what I have found they just know. And, and then if, and if you don't coach, it's like, I didn't really know if I wanted to coach. I feel like that was something that would I really be you're, you're invested in that one team. And that's really awesome. And I love that you're invested, that that would be something that, you know, you're, you're constantly gaining those relationships with those players and you're going back to it. You're dealing with a lot of issues and, and really seeing players develop. And then if you're broadcasting, I guess it's more like on to the next game. You know, you're not as invested. kind of. Um, you're just, you're seeing a whole lot of different coaches, styles, games, everywhere. And it's really cool. You're not, you know, an emotional, you know, you're not so emotional with that team you're moving on to the next game. And uh, for, for me, I don't know. It just was a communication thing too. I think I love the game and I love communicating it to people. And uh, I see it like a point guard. And I was always like, a, I was always a point guard and two guard. So I feel like I just enjoyed it TV wise and I got the opportunity. So I think I just kind of ran with it. And uh, I didn't, I know, I didn't know. I don't know why, because I think with coaching, you have to have a lot of patience, first of all, and and if you're coaching a level that like they're not going to be as good as you were as a player, sometimes I feel like I might get frustrated. You no, know? but I think I would coach my kids someday. But I don't know if I'd want to get into like at this point, I wouldn't you know, necessarily probably want to get into college coaching. But uh, I can see how people dip into both because you know, you're sharing that expertise either way.
0: You actually mentioned something that I thought was pretty interesting about you know your knowledge of the game. And how did you grow within the profession when you first started watching games and you're just watching one team just quickly? You're watching some film and then you're talking about them. You're on the air, you're announcing the game. How did you become more direct? How did you learn as an analyst to make sure that what you were saying and what you were seeing, you could convey to the people watching the game?
2: I think that just comes with time and also some advice from producers and people that are watching you and you know you have to have like a knack for communicating i think for me the biggest challenge and any former player or coach the biggest challenge can sometimes be you know the game but how do you communicate it in a way that doesn't go above someone's head after you hurt or below their head you don't want to make feel stupid either so it's like a kind of a, a middle ground that you have to find as a as a former player at least and I think that's the challenge and being more concise and not so wordy on the air and being more firm with how you say things, authoritative, pick a side, whether it's going to be right or wrong, you know, pick a side. What do you feel like personally? But, uh, like I said, I think it's a process for sure. Like I would watch games and you go to practices and you talk to different coaches and you're actually, whether you know it or not, you're absorbing different philosophies you're learning while you're going to these practices these coaches you're kind of just it, you're growing really in that regard and then you're sharing that on the air as you're doing. but at the same time it's it's a, a lot of it has to do with just really working hard and knowing you know what you're talking about doing your homework and I'm a big believer in that doing your homework in this in this atmosphere is is big it can separate each others but some of the best players in the world are not good at playing things
0: can you actually walk us through what a prep would be like for a typical if you let's just say you had a wednesday night like big 10 network game what what would your prep be like for a game like that
2: well i think you, you have to for me personally i i'm always like checking news and notes and keeping up with especially networks uh, i'm sorry especially conferences and such that I'm covering more frequently, maybe than others. You really want to know kind of big picture, what's going on. And then for the game, I'm I'm definitely looking at a lot of the notes. The sports information directors out there are awesome. Usually, uh, now at the college level, you can get everything at your fingertips. The professional level as well, you know, everything's at your fingertips now. So you can do a lot of research online, to find a lot of things out like that. But then that one-on-one is is huge too. You. Want, for me, I, I like to talk to coaches on the phone. I like to get them on a conference call, you know a few days or a week before game, and you know, if I can get to shoot around, that's always important. Just shoot arounds on game day, usually, you know, in the morning, a few hours before game day, you know, shoot around. Just getting that face to face encounter time with some of the coaches and even the players, and all of that is uh, pivotal to doing some homework because. Sometimes they're going to say something that wasn't in the notes and you're going to see something at practice that I'll you know, take note of, hey, they're practicing that full port pressure and let's see if, you know, now I can an eye on whether they use that or I might pick up on something. So, you know, for me, it, it's it's all about about that. You know, I'm not always spewing numbers out, but you have to have some numbers in your head and on your paper in front of you so that I always say have more than you need, you're going to probably not get to half what you have but have more than you need is a blow up situation when you have a little bit of time to talk you're gonna really want some nuggets that are that are you know good nuggets to use
0: yeah and and i actually am i'm curious about that just because you know when we worked at temple and obviously when i was at college of charleston and in the nba like we had I'd color commentators and play-by-play, I'd shoot around most of the time, but I never really saw anything else other than like they might talk to coaches, like pull them aside, talk to them after the fact. But I had heard about conference calls and things like that, and I was sort of curious about how coaches, how receptive coaches were to giving you good information, or did you just, do you feel like you consistently get more kind of like coach speak, cliche type stuff. And then you have to dig based on what you see with your eyes and what you hear at practice and then what you're seeing based on film you've watched and stuff like that.
2: Uh, it's a mixture of all of the above. Uh, I find it depends on the coach. Some coaches are going to give you a little bit more X's and O's than others. Some people are really happy you're even covering them. So they're going to give you whatever you want. And uh, sometimes people big time you and they, you know, that's just the way it is in this business. And Big time you in a sense where I think most coaches get it. They get it. They get the media. They get that we need to do our job and do a good job. I mean, it's, it's too, from our perspective, it's we're trying to make you guys look better. And the more we know about you, the better, uh, because otherwise we'll talk more about your opponent, you know, um, or whatever, you know, it's like it, it, it really depends. I think I think at the pro level, I've noticed doing the NBA that I get a lot more coach speed. You know, for the most part, you go into those huddles and it's all coach speak. They're not going to give anything away. So it's not like I'm going to get a whole heck of a lot uh, from them. No. And so a lot of it, bring it together, whatever you can get, do a lot of research, get some quotes, different things like that from players. And it all helps a lot, you know, numbers. But ultimately, when I'm doing a game, I'm calling game. people are watching that game. Not me. They're not like watching the listening to me. I'm adding some color to that. But it's like you can let it breathe a little bit and wanna, you know, find out you know, the basketball aspect of it too, where you trickle in stories and you trickle in things when it's pertinent. But you have to really, you know, pick and choose your your spots because let's face it, you don't want, you know, the analyst and the play by play guy to just be yapping the entire time and not focused on the game itself. So Uh, yeah i mean that's kind of the main squeeze but you need to be for for sure well versed on what you're seeing
0: that's what we call pulling a romo right smalls (laughs) where you just you talk so much and your information is really good but you just never let the game breathe and you're just like all right man like we're good
2: and i'm not a fan of that kind of analyst or play-by-play guy you know and even with the play-by-play person that's something that they have to learn too over time is you know you don't have to be like a radio person this is a visual sport like we are watching this. people are watching it so it's visual they can see where the pass is going you can let certain plays go by you know and be able to chat or let it breathe in the big moments especially so those are all things you have to learn you know it's just kind of a, a flow that you have to get some people don't get it and they don't they're not as pleasurable to the ear <laughs> so you know, it's to each his own. It's a very subjective business. You, know, you might love someone and want to turn something.
1: Actually, something that really stood out to me, what you just said there and then what you said before about communication, and it's not always about being so wordy. I think we've talked about it in this podcast, specifically uh, myself, when I started out coaching communicating scouting reports to players, I was trying to do so much and be so like detailed and it wasn't getting through to the players. Only like a year or two later did I learn that simpler a lot of times is better and it helps your team overall. So I think that just relates to broadcasting and coaching in that respect. But I did want to dive into, you know, what you're doing now a little bit is the virtual reality uh, of NBA games for NextVR. Recently partnering with the NBA to broadcast 26 games this season. Uh, What has that learning experience been like for you?
2: Oh, it's been incredible. Uh, when I first got into the next VR and the NBA, uh, it was two seasons ago. So this is our third season. And uh, when I got that opportunity, I was just not sure where that was going to go because I wasn't really sure about it. Neither was the rest of the world, to be honest with you. And so uh, when I first started out, I didn't even know what to think. But what it is, is, and this is, this is the future. This is the wave of the future that i so blessed have gotten uh, in at the ground level with because our company PR is the first ever to do live sports in virtual reality so the NBA partnered with us two seasons ago and you know we're on our third season but you're, you're what we're doing and it's getting better and better every year the technology so we're going to every game it's a full-blown broadcast a full-blown truck uh, we've got Bunch of cameras in there that uh, you know, are all, it's fusing, I call it kind of like fusing Nerdville with sports people. So it's like <laughs> Nerdville meaning smart people that actually make the world go around with their technology. And then they're fusing that world with broadcast, like sports broadcast people. And so that's kind of what it is. And when people at home are watching, it's through. The headsets, uh, the you know, Oculus, which is owned by Facebook, just joined as well. Uh, there's a partnership with NextVR and Oculus, which is those the eyewear. I don't know if you're familiar with the virtual reality like eyewear that you
0: oh yeah mm-hmm. you
2: put it on, and what you do is it, you're you're suddenly being transported into the arena. So you're gonna see me like my entire body like in the first part of it, and you know you're gonna see everything. You can turn your head to the left, to the right, and you can see where you're looking and you can look wherever you want. You feel like court side. So it's hard to even explain until you get experience. You know, They take away the wall, that wall that the TV set has at your house. It's like you're removing the wall and you're actually feeling like you're there. So it's cool. And then I'm in your head. I'm talking. I'm broadcasting. (laughs) You know, but we're calling the game a little bit differently, a little bit more, a little bit more laid back, but, um, but it's still a professional broadcast and we're, we're sometimes we tell you where to look like, you know, we see something where it's like, all right, you know, Brad Stevens is, you know, arguing with the ref, you're like, look to your left and you literally from home have to look with your head to the left because you're feeling you're. so this has been like really groundbreaking and, and very cool. And an amazing thing for me because I'm calling the NBA. I'm getting to talk to NBA coaches and I'm, I'm growing in my repertoire in the game and as an analyst. And that's really been an amazing experience for me. Seeing the elite, elite basketball players of the world and then getting to call these games. So I've enjoyed it so much.
1: That, that is awesome, and I am pumped about that because I think VR, obviously, like you just said, it's the future. Um will see to be, more of it. <laughs> yeah, to be courtside at a game with, you know, out having to get up from my couch, that's my ultimate dream. So uh, I appreciate the technology out there. Uh, I want to know, and we asked this to a lot of guests, uh, what are the challenges that you faced in your career and how have you kind of, Uh, met that adversity head on and overcome those challenges.
2: Just challenges in my, so my broadcast career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your professional career and your broadcast career. I'm sorry. You're, you're a pro at everything. So that's, that's my fault. No,
2: no, no. That's funny. Um, thank you. But you know what, there's a, I think like with anything, there's always going to be roadblocks and challenges. And, uh, when I first got into this career, I actually feel like I did not find it. It found me. And what I mean by that is I didn't study it. It's not something that I knew I was going to do or even aspired to doing. I just had somebody reach out to me and, and take notice of me and basically throw me into the fire without any experience because he thought I was going to do a good job doing some high school games. And it's just really funny how that happens when I really didn't have any experience. And so the challenge with this industry is a lot of it. You really like anything you have to hustle and like i said it's very subjective so somebody might like you and somebody else might not and uh but you're an ind- you're basically an independent contractor you have to be willing to work uh, basically to try to build your your resume to try to get on-air experience i think the hardest part was getting the first game like your first on-air gig because you don't have any show people so when you're trying to you know get on-air experience but who's going to give it to you without experience so you have to like find somebody that's willing to give you an opportunity which means you might end up having to do things for free or like when i first started out i i moved back home with my parents and i got some opportunities doing some high school stuff and i was driving down to long island and back that's like at the time when i was living upstate 50 it was a four-hour drive you're going over bridges and it's all to do one game to get footage. Or I was doing, uh, you know, uh, the St. John's women. I, I'm, I give them so much credit because their athletic director gave me an opportunity to do all their home games for their St. John's broadcast, which didn't pay a lot at all. It was like 80 bucks a game or something, but I was willing to do it because I wanted the, the airtime and the repetition and I wanted to get better and, and, and to be able to get that footage. So I would drive two hours there, two hours back, cross bridges and basically lose money. But the bottom line is I, I ended up getting a lot of opportunities and things grew from there. So I always tell people, don't snub your nose up on things um, that might not seem like much at first, if you really want to do it and you really feel like this is for you and you can be good at it and you got to be willing to really work and, and to not be sure where it's going to lead because. I had to have other jobs while I was kind of pursuing this and full-time jobs where I was taking off on some random Fridays and then doing like a game on a Saturday or a Friday-Saturday just to like get experience or Saturday-Sunday and then back to work on Monday. So until you're able to develop and carve a career out for yourself, it's always difficult because you feel like you need to have another job that's supporting you financially too but you want to be able to pick up and go whenever you want so it's like that's when I made the decision to just all right I quit this full-time job and I'm gonna pursue this now I'm always going to be available whenever I get a call to do a game and that helped me a lot but I think yeah lots of challenges and then On top of that, it's tough. You're working a lot of nights and weekends, at least now I am. It's nights and weekends. You're an entertainer. Uh, When you think about it, games are entertainment. You are entertaining people when they're home. And they're done with their nothing. And you're on the clock. And that's off-peak hours. That's random traveling all the time. It's not as glamorous as people think because we're on the road a lot. You know, and uh, unless you're working only home games or something, or what or what have you, but there, yeah. So there's always going to be challenges, <laughs> no doubt. And then the pressure, there's always that high pressure factor of being on the air, and you're live, and you're national, and you know everything's being recorded. You make a mistake, you know everyone's going to hear it. And the more eyes that are on you as you grow and develop, the more pressure you feel to be good. But at the same time. I thrive off that because as a player, I love playing that environment where I felt like you're on the spot. You got to nail it. You're live. Don't screw it up. (laughs) So,
0: actually, one of the things you mentioned about the lifestyle not being as glamorous as people think, you know, during college basketball season, the NBA season, you are on the road a ton and you're working a ton of, like you said, very odd hours. How do you balance, you know, you mentioned being really close to your family. I'm sure you have a lot of close friends, but like, how do you balance that work life? during the busy peak times of the year
2: it's really hard and a lot of my friends and family say that i disappear for like six months out of the year and it's kind of funny because i, mean, I kind of do
0: <laughs> but, i'm sorry they can turn on, they can turn on the tv and they're like okay we know we know yeah, she's I safe mean, we, we it, it, i
2: mean i it, mean it's like anything you have to make time for people you love and and i do whenever i'm in different cities i do try to visit friends that i know are in that city which is kind of the positive about it where You know, if I'm going to do a game in Colorado, I can see, like, a friend who lives there or uh, wherever, you know. And I try to do that on the road. But when I get home for a couple days, I cherish it. get home for two or three days or even a night, I'm like, I cherish it. I try to see people if I can, but sometimes I'm too tired and I want to rest. But, like, you have to just, you try to work it out with the people you love closest to and visit them, even if it's short term when you're in that city kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, there's times where you're coming in and out from home. So I'm not like on the road for a month at a time. Like I'll, you know, last year, I think there was one where I was home two or three times. and I was like on the road the whole month because it was just one of those years and one of those months that was just like that. So it's not always like that. It kind of changes year after year. So but it's busy. It really is. But for me, it's really tough January, February, and March. And then I balance my mindset out where I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know there's an off-season. Summer is chill. My fall is not that bad. It's just a ton of games at once. It's like rains of fours. 60 games, 50 games in, in a short time. People do that in a whole year. And so it's sometimes... Hard to like wrap my head around that, but I know there's a, like a light at the end of the tunnel at the same time, so I try to remember that too. And then I take the breaks when I get it.
0: Yeah, enjoy enjoy your free time because yeah. you know and it's you not also, always there.
2: And you have to remember what's important in life. And I realize every season of life, things change. You have to reevaluate things. I don't. I'm not married, and I don't have kids yet, so I know that you know <laughs> when that happens at some point, like you have to reprioritize and try to try to make it work you just have to make it work you know find a way <laughs> or cut back or whatever you need to do and that's kind of one of the cool things about being you know an independent contractor in a sense where you're working or things you can sort of hard schedule to a degree uh, you know but you have to you have to continue to stay out there
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I hear you and I, I think about that when you said like about reprioritizing and stuff you know, when I eventually moved to join a coaching staff down South, like, you know, my wife at the time, people were always saying like, Oh, are you going to get married? You're going to get married. And it was like, Oh, make sure she's like a good coach's wife and stuff. And I don't necessarily, I've always talked very, I've been very outspoken on this podcast about stuff like that. Like, I don't think you need someone to change for you. If you know what's important and you make time for the people that are important for you, then you're able to do both just fine. You don't, you don't need to make sure like, oh, this person's going to be a great coach's wife or coach's husband, whatever, because like,
2: you just make it work. You love the yeah, person, exactly. you're going
0: to make it work. <laughs> um, let's uh, dive into coach speak. And we always like having former players on for this. So no quotes today. We basically are going to ask you just two questions about how you kind of interacted with coaches, both as a player and now in your broadcast career. Smalls, you have the first one. And it, this is just a, it's only two lines, small. so you'll be able to read this one. You're not going to read a, a paragraph quote.
1: <laughs> see, the, you see what I deal with? This guy makes fun of me because I have trouble reading. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a big problem on this podcast, and we're trying to work it out. But I'll go for it. So what type of coaching did you best respond to while playing? That's the first part of the question here.
2: Huh. Well, uh, you know what? I was one of those players that uh, – Pushed myself. Uh, I didn't really need a coach to to push me in a sense of downgrading me and and giving tough love. Uh, not that I didn't respond to that. I just didn't really necessarily need it. And I think most of my coaches knew that about me. That uh, and that's what that's what I feel is important for a coach is to know your kid, know your player, know what kind of you know what kind of response you can get out of them. Through whatever it might be. But I, I mean, I think, I think for me, it was a, it was a balance between pushing you and also praising you. When I found it hard was when you got absolutely no praise whatsoever, because then you kind of feel like so dejected. And so like, why will my teammates appreciate me or want to get me the ball if I'm always being downgraded or, you know, up the spectacle or, the big example you know what I mean so I think there's a really good balance with coaching uh, at least for me personally although I had teammates that responded to you know the nasty criticism where they really needed it in order to put a fire under them so I didn't feel like I needed that I was more I would say in the middle
1: yeah and I, I think that what you just said is so important and something we actually learned uh and Tyler hopefully I'm right on about this, is, uh, you know, through Fran Dunphy, Coach Dunphy, you know, he never, I don't think he coached everybody the same way. He was really uh, cerebral in that way. He knew how a player responded to different styles of coaching and would coach them uh, specifically to that style. Maybe not on the court at all times, but definitely being able to pull them aside and communicate properly. And speaking of communication,
0: Tyler's got the second and he's the best reader on this podcast. So go ahead, Tyler. Unbelievable segue. You're getting so good, Smalls. Uh, I guess wh- we talked a little bit about this before, Julian, but knowing what you know about uh, coaches and having played the game at a high level, how do you approach coaches now when you're talking to them both on and off the court? Uh, are you typically looking, uh, I guess like, you know, guys are different communicators and, and women are different communicators. So do you have sort of a one size fits all approach? Or do you have to vary it based on who you're working?
2: I think you vary it because you kind of get to know coaches along along the way, uh, and you get repeat coaches every year. You know, uh, you know if you're talking to Gino Ariama, he's just going to tell you how it is, and he's hilarious to talk to because you know he's going to basically be the more on the more negative side about players, even though they might be like all world. He, you no, know, but he even tells me when I talk to him, a guy like him that he has to know each player and. You know, it, it's a little harder to coach nowadays. I hate to say that, but uh, over time, there's like, uh, and he's even said that. I've talked to other coaches around the world, around the country about it, and it's like just because of the times we're living in, where there's just so many other things to focus on, like technology and uh, you know that me centric culture that uh, or everybody gets a trophy culture, you know. And so it's not that way. And it's it's like if you're an old school coach. I think it's harder for them sometimes to coach today's kids because it, it's, it's not quite the way that it was back then. And you have to be a little bit softer with certain people and it, it's just kind of crazy, but I, I do think you just approach people differently. Some coaches like to talk. They're going to give you whatever you ask for. And others coaches that are really short and, and that's always the hard one. They kind of come across more intimidating and you just need to come out want to ask. Very thorough right? to the point is they're just going to give you what you want and not anything else. And so you're going to kind of know that going in usually as you get to know. So, But as a player it makes it a little easier to I'm not going to ask them something and I that's the thing yeah. that bothers them is that when they have silent reporters ask them something for someone who doesn't know the game and it's a dumb question you know that's when I think they, they get a little bit frustrated and don't respect for you. So I'm typically not going to ask a stupid question. And at least I have that basketball knowledge and hopefully the credibility where, you know, they don't think it's a dumb question because <laughs> you can kind of get inside your player's mind and think, but I want to hear this question or is this.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's an awesome point. Uh, we're going to get a little more fun. We're going to take it to the next segment. That's city review. Listen, you're going to give me three restaurants, two bars or night spots and an activity. And we're doing Manhattan, New York. Now there's a lot to live up to in Manhattan, New York. We had a couple guests do it. Uh, we had Pete Lapis, I believe did Manhattan and we had John Rothstein. So there's a lot to live up to here, but take it away.
2: Uh- I know John Rossi knows every restaurant under the sun, so he had to have given you some good ones and
1: <laughs> Yeah, he was he was you know, he was okay. You know, he he's a big eater.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, like I, I don't I don't live right in midtown or in I mean, I'm right outside Manhattan, so it's close, but I mean I'm not like a big like I have to go to the best, absolute best restaurant in the world kind of person. A lot of times the fun restaurants are just like the easy chill ones, like there's like Park Avenue Tavern. Uh, there's like the Rio Grande, which has awesome margaritas. And uh, Tao downtown is fun. You know, it's kind of a cool environment. And then you got like Peter Luger's Steakhouse, which is like known for their steak. Like, I think probably it's the world knows about that, per se. That's a place I want to go to. Haven't been there, but I want to get there. You have to book two months in advance, to, per se. It's like a French place, like restaurant. You know, uh, Catch is a big place to go to. And I could go on and on. This place, P.O.P.O., I like their Peruvian food and kitchen. I mean, a million places and, uh, you know, bar spots. You know, I somehow end up at the Ainsworth. I don't know why, but it's a cool place to watch games. (laughs) You know, there's just a lot of TVs everywhere. And, you know, you're talking like club life or in the summertime, La Marina's really beautiful night spot. It's all outside. It's right on like the water and uh boats and stuff are around and then, you know, plumbing, one oak, a lot of people go there, the marquee, <laughs> you know, and uh so it really it, it really is there's way too much to do. But you know, if you're there if you're there in the summer, if you're there on a nice day, you have to walk the high line weather. weather. I, I don't know if you've heard that one yet.
0: Everybody tells us that. That we have to run on the high line, run
2: the high line or walk it. It's really an awesome spot, you know. Or if you've never been to Central Park, that's like a total like you have to go there at one point in your life, you know. If you've never been there, it's, it's like the one spot that's so green. <laughs> I,
0: I had never been there before to Central Park a couple years ago, and we went with my uh brother in law and sister in law. And they, we walked, like, right into Central Park, and I was really excited, and then they just took us to Tavern on the Green, and I didn't see anything.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, wow, that's funny. That's, that's really funny. Yeah, it's a
0: very good place.
2: Yeah, I think I've cracked off a bunch there. Or you can go to the Boat Basin, which is a cool place that's... Uh, right on!
1: The I've water. been to the boat basin.
2: Yeah, you have. Oh, that's it awesome!
1: It's a great spot. Yeah, Put yeah. played in the uh, Central Park softball tournament. Then we went to the boat basin after.
2: That is the best so, spot ever. You can like if you have a boat, which I don't.
1: Pong.
2: <laughs> beer pong. Yep. We got true. flip
1: cup, beer pong. We're by the water.
2: You're right by the water, and if seriously, I was with someone else that was. It was like a few of us, It was on their boat, and you can just you can just go right up there, and then like. Get dinner and drinks and then go back out on the water. It's like like you're parking your boat there, you know? It's just so pretty right on the water. So that's a spot too. All
0: right, really good city review. There's so much to do. We're gonna get into ten touches, thirty second rapid fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh Julianne, who's the funniest person you've ever interviewed?
2: Honestly, I don't know the name of this kid, but this was for a football game, a high school football game, and I can't say that he said anything funny, but it was the first time in my career and like ever that I was about to interview this quarterback. I was sidelining it and uh, he came up to me and gave me a big hug. <laughs> and I, it was so random. It was a high school quarterback. He gave me a hug and I heard everybody in the trucks laughing hysterically in my ear. Like, I, I can't live it down because no one in our crew has ever seen that before with like a high school quarterback just hugging me so i think i'll always remember that and they always mention it because it was just funny he had like a crush on me and it was really it was cute i don't remember (laughs) what i even asked him Uh,
0: what uh what's your worst travel experience sorry travel experience
2: oh man Uh, when i was in europe i've had a lot of travel horror stories to be honest stuck in airports but i remember when i was in europe my team was we were traveling by bus To we were going to georgia to fly to turkey because the direct from armenia to turkey wasn't it wasn't in our best interest to fly i don't think direct because of the relations there which are better than they were but we ended up having to drive on a bus that was literally like i thought it was like falling apart and we drove through the night basically around I'm not kidding you, but like, it looked like we were in like the old biblical days of the old Testament. There's like sheep on the hills and you're literally driving in like a lane that's so thin. You feel like you're going to fall off the cliff. Like, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like sheep herders. And I was freaking out because I, I was first of all, I was sick. I was like getting sick, motion sickness from the ride. And we had a game the next day and it was like horrendous because we barely got any sleep by the time we got there. And I remember once we got to Turkey, I was ready to quit the game of basketball because I was exhausted and they expected us to play. And it was like hours and hours and hours of driving. And then we had to like stop in Georgia. It was like the most ghetto way of traveling I've ever I've ever experienced and it was like horrible. So yeah, I would say that was the worst experience. Ever, by far.
0: (laughs) I I figured it was something from overseas. Yep, yep. What TV show are you currently binging? And what uh, is your most recent book that you've read?
2: Oh, man. There's so many good shows out. I can't even. uh, The Americans. I just finished binging. Amazing show. Outlander. Awesome show. Game of Thrones. Power. (laughs) Yeah, power. into billions.
0: (laughs) We get power in billions a lot
2: yeah oh my gosh it's it's they're popular and uh oh man there's just there's a lot of good ones and i'm trying to think what else uh oh um did i say game of thrones i think i did so those are probably the ones off the top of my head and best book i recently read that's a really good question Um, a book called
0: you just lean back to to see what the book was.
2: Yes, I did. It's called. I'm reading it right now. When God Writes Your Life Story by uh, Leslie Ludy and Eric Ludy. It's awesome, awesome. That's currently on my desk.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, what was your best moment as a player?
2: Definitely when we beat Ohio State to uh, to get you know past the first round of the NC tournament when i was uh, a sophomore that was the when we went to the sweet 16 and i we beat ohio state and it was the most like unexpected victory and uh, no one expected us we were 13 seed beat, beat the 4 seed and i had a really great game i'll just absolutely never forget that win and then the next game after that which took us to the sweet 16 but the ohio state win was by far the best game i've ever i've ever best moment ever best game ever
0: <laughs> yeah the ncaa tournament nothing like it
2: yeah and that's that's the truth
0: <laughs> what is the best game you've ever covered
2: oh that one i don't know if i can even answer i'll be honest oh yeah
0: because it's a different experience like you're talking about the game you're not necessarily like in the moment
2: there's so many games i've done that i can Think right now, so don't. I, I'm I'm not sure. This is a rapid fire, and I can't even give an answer for that one.
0: <laughs> no, that's what- that's
1: okay. We can always come back to it. Oh, okay. So I'll take to the next question. If you could change one thing about the NBA, what would it be?
2: About the NBA? Ooh, that's cool. yeah. Uh, I would. I. In a lot of ways, I wish it wasn't so showboaty. I still think it's a little bit showboaty. I don't know how to change that. I know the rules have been hearing everything in the NBA towards scoring. Uh, Now there's no more post-play. I kind of miss that old school post-play. And uh, I just, I I wish the, the NBA was a little bit more like college basketball with its rules and the way that it's played. But there's so much money involved that I don't think that that will ever happen. It's more of a uh, a glamorous thing and an entertainment thing. So uh, I wish it was a little bit more old school. I think that's my answer where it was just like the way it used to be.
1: <laughs> I like that. What would you do if you weren't in the media?
2: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I studied. I got my master's in public administration because I originally thought I wanted to Something, whether it was like nonprofit work uh, or ministry work, I think if if, it, if I could do anything, it would be somehow serving the kingdom of God. You know, I mean, I know that sounds a little bit weird or cliche, but doing something for society that's really meaningful, whether it's like working for an organization that is you know, doing missions work or involved in it or doing something that's helping people. I know there's not a lot of money necessarily in that, but uh, my heart is definitely in that atmosphere, you know, uh, towards helping people get closer to God and and different ministerial ministry aspects of things. But I really couldn't say, you know, I had one at one point. I thought I was going to get into like the government stuff, which I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't think at this point. But you know, I just I don't know. That's a great. That's a great question.
1: Hey, we're we're asking the tough questions here on Create Your Shot now your favorite sport to cover other than hoops?
2: Well, hoops is my main forte. And in terms of doing any major stuff, it's always, it's, it is basketball. So that's, you know, that's, I do do other sports. So I enjoy doing lacrosse. uh, I enjoy doing soccer and I love football. I mean, I just, I didn't play football. So football, I can't do analysis work for, but if I could cover it, you know, doing some random reporting and things like that. I think that would be awesome too. I've done a little bit of that, but um, you know, I think, I think everything else kind of is, is equal underneath basketball, but I love, I love to watch football. I'll be honest.
1: (laughs) Who doesn't? We're, I'm a big NFL guy. Tyler's a big college guy. We've got a gambling show, whatever, but what's your most embarrassing moment on air? Ooh,
2: Oh man. I, I don't, I can't say I've ever done anything too crazy where I've fallen off a chair, which a friend of mine has done. It went viral. Um, I, I don't know if I can pick one thing out. I think, I think there's been definitely several moments, especially early on where I was, I would hiccup, like up like literally, but like really mess my lingo up and have to retract myself. I think those are always the most embarrassing moments, uh, but I, I honestly off the top of my head like this can't think of one specific moment that was horrendous but several small ones that were embarrassing i would say
1: (laughs) of course do you have a secret or hidden talent
2: oh man i wouldn't say secret or hidden i mean actually one thing people don't know about me is i i do like to write poetry which is a little different it's got (laughs) a artsier side to me um comes out in different moments maybe of life where I can end up writing and sometimes just getting things out on paper and, uh, and it comes out very much so like poetry. So uh, that's one thing that people don't know about me, but I don't know if, you know, the the world knows my family maybe knows. (laughs) That's
0: cool. Uh, All right. Last segment, parting shots. Same two question to every guest. Julian, what's the best advice you've ever been given?
2: The best, oh, I, I love this. The best advice you've ever been given in terms of for my career and everything, it was, uh, I was, I was told, actually I was asked myself, uh, he asked me this one time and I'm going to give credit to Mike Quick who got me into television. He's the best. And I remember he asked me, he said, who's your, you know, who's your idol in terms of broadcast business? Who do you most look up to? What female analysts do you most look up to? and, and and do you want to, do you aspire to? And I said, I want to be just like Doris Burke, you know? And I said that to him and he said, eh, wrong answer. And I was like, what is this, a test? And he said, no, he goes, it's not a test, but he's like, I don't, Doris Burke is, is one of the greatest. And, you know, if not the greatest women's analyst ever, he said, but you want to aspire to be you and always remember that, that there will never be another you. So So be you when you're on the air and be you all the time and and that genuineness will come out and it will it will be, you know, it will it will become who you are. Because that's the only way you're gonna be the best at something is if you truly stay true to yourself. And that really stuck with me because there's so many times you think that, uh, you know, I have to be just like this person or that person because they made it there. And you can take little pieces of things that other people have that are good but ultimately at the end of the day you have to be yourself and stay true to yourself i would definitely like that. I, as the,
1: that's a theme of our podcast it seems like every guest always comes back to that it's about being yourself and that's what kind of makes you successful and makes you happy with yourself but uh my last question face to face with your 25 year old self what are you telling that person
2: well, this was like six or seven years ago. Let's see. What would I tell her? <laughs> oh, I would just, I mean, I, I think at that age is like such a prime age because you're s I was still in a place of just not being totally sure if I was going to, I was going to make it. How am I going to, am I going to be successful in this career? Am I going to, is this work, hard work going to pay off? And I would just tell myself back then to just trust God honestly, I would say that trust God and trust the process because that's, that's life. Life is it's a process and, and don't, and enjoy the journey because the journey is really what makes life meaningful. It don't like, get so caught up in getting to the end that you miss the journey and miss the moments while you're getting there. I mean, because there really isn't a start, a start and an end in life. That's what life is. It's such a journey. So to just have some grace with yourself and uh, and to live each day, you know, as if it's your last, to really enjoy the journey. I think I would tell myself all those, but not to worry. Trust God and uh, enjoy that journey.
0: No, I mean really good advice, and we love when people say trust the process on here too. Just shout out Joel Embiid.
2: Yeah, trust what? the process. Trust. Hashtag that. <laughs>
0: Julianne, we really appreciate your time. Uh, She is at Julianne Vianney on Twitter. And look for her on TV this year. There's another, there's a lot of places. ESPN, CBS, Pac-12 Network, Big Ten Network. So you everywhere pretty much. But we appreciate you sitting down with us.
2: No problem. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I love
0: it. All right, Julianne, we'll talk soon. Thank you.
2: Thank you.